1: Hey, it's Matea, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canadaland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canadaland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, it's Fatla
2: Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian politics and friends who call each other out. Parliament is still not back in session yet, but federal politics do go on. Last week, Ottawa lent $120 million to support Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression. And if you're wondering when Ukraine became so significant for Canadian interests, so are we. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said this loan is for, quote, supporting Ukraine's economic resilience. We're not sure if military assistance is also going to be offered, but cabinet ministers' key policy idea seems to be taking photos of themselves with a hashtag stand with Ukraine placard. At home, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole's handle on his party is still being questioned by insiders while he continues to peddle misinformation about the government's policy on fossil fuels. Tories continue to be pissed that they lost three seats this past election and how O'Toole is apparently not living up to being true blue like he promised. Their caucus is gearing up for their first pre-parliamentary strategy session next week, so I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about this. Meanwhile, NDP MPs have been making some noise for emergency financial support for seniors struggling to make ends meet from their pensions. However, their leader Jagmeet Singh seems to have stolen some of the limelight from this conversation for a controversy around accepting an $1,800 rocking chair as a gift. Singh said he will pay this money back because typically gifts of more than $200 need to be reported to the federal ethics commissioner. I feel like Jugmeet's chair is the least of the NDP's problems, and this brings us to what we're going to be talking about today. Since December, I've been seeing different people on Twitter saying they've decided to quit the NDP as in they've stopped donating their money or they've stopped contributing their time and energy to their local writing associations. An Ontario woman this past week even accused the NDP of anti-Semitism because she noticed that provincial party candidates had expressed Nazi sympathies either by sharing a pro-Nazi meme or endorsing a local street be named after a Nazi naval commander. Now, I've been thinking about this for a really long time. Why is the NDP struggling to attract self-described progressives? What is actually going on with this party? Joining me today for another format breaking special this week is Peggy Nash, a former NDP MP of Toronto Parkdale High Park, who is a backbench listener. I'm very excited she's here. Hi, Peggy.
0: Hi Fatma, great to be here. We also have
2: Laurie Idlout, who is the current and newest MP for None of It. Thrilled you're here. Thank you for being the first backbench guest from None of It.
3: thank you so much.
2: And finally, Des Bissonnette, a member of Lakeland, Alberta NDP Writing Association and National Political Council of the Democratic Socialists
4: of Canada, she ran in the last election. We're very excited she could join us. Hi, Dansekiowal. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
2: The first part of this conversation, I really wanted to get into what is the NDP we have today and how do we perceive it or how should we perceive it? And Lori, I wanted to start with you because we all saw former Nunavut NDP MP Momola Kakak express real concerns when she left parliament.
1: Let me be honest, brutally honest, nice words with no action hurt when they are uttered by those with power over the federal institution and refuse to take action. There is nothing, nothing to take pride in, in the legacy this institution continues to not only maintain, but to build and fuel. It would be easier for me to be told that I am wrong and that you disagree, than to be told I am right and I'm courageous, but there is no room in your budget for basic Basic human rights that so many others take for granted. So I'm wondering if
3: you
2: can tell us a little bit about why you think voters decided to vote for you and the NDP.
3: I think uh, for myself specifically, I chose to run as an NDP because, uh, as I've said in other interviews, the NDP values align with my values very much about empowering people, uh the n d p is very much about ensuring that uh we fight for people's rights and i I've always seen the n d p as uh making things right, uh seeking equity and uh, having had uh, Mumilak as her m p she really inspired me personally and to also watch uh, Meet Singh as our leader, I think it just felt like it was the right time to make sure that I could do my part to keep our seat orange in Nunavut.
2: I appreciate that. And you weren't concerned by any of the things that Momalak had to say upon her departure?
3: Um, Having gone to law school in Ottawa, having worked in different sectors, I've experienced racism throughout my life, and I knew that it wouldn't be different at the House of Commons based on what she was saying. It just meant to me that I had more to prepare being in the public eye on how to mm-hmm. make sure that I keep my coping skills and that I always remember my values about being inclusive and wanting to work with people to make change. Mm-hmm.
2: Des, you also decided to run for the NDP in the last election. Can you talk us a little bit about the thought process there?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I have always been an NDP voter. The first time I was able to vote, I did vote for the NDP. I kind of like you know, but grinned my teeth a little bit and voted for Tom Mulclair I wasn't a huge fan. I'm a little bit more um, on the progressive side, um, and so yeah, I, I joined the NDP's EDA in 2020. Um, I had been kind of a big fan since 2019. Um, actually, during the 2019 election, I was working two retail jobs. Um, both at fifteen dollars an hour, and you know, struggling through it as everybody who works for under twenty dollars an hour knows. And yeah, I just I got the opportunity to join, and then I was given the opportunity to run. And because I had felt so seen. During the 2019 election, like I was like elbow deep in toilets for wealthy people who were coming to, to do surveys for the oil field um, and hearing talking about wealth tax and talking about things that I needed, like dental care. That's really what got me inspired to join. And so when I was given the opportunity to run, I kind of hummed and hawed and then ultimately decided that, yeah, you know what, I, I believe in the things that I'm being told. Um, and so it was something that I wanted to, I guess, you know, just do. Peggy, there
2: seems to be a theme emerging in both Lori and and Des's response in, in terms of why they ran for the NDP. You've been a longtime member of this party as well. So how do you explain what draws people to the NDP?
0: When I relate to the stories of both Des and to Lori, I think that for people who see themselves on the left, who have progressive values, who are inspired, that they want to make a difference and not just say you know, platitudes that actually want to roll up their sleeves and work to to improve our country and our communities. For me, it was natural that I would align with the NDP. I often felt myself on the left of the NDP. Sometimes I get a bit frustrated with the NDP, but there's no other party that has any chance of success that I see myself. Aligned with, I think that there are many people who who don't just want to run to get a position of power for themselves, but that they actually want to make change. And I don't know that that message always gets through. It, it clearly has for the three of us, but I'm uh, speaking to you from Toronto, where you know, when in, in 2015, every new Democrat lost their seat. That's
2: a really interesting groundwork that you've laid there because one of the things I've been curious about is— is the progressive nature of the NDP because the times have changed. I think there are a lot more options for for progressive voters. You know, often the NDP claims that they're pushing the Liberals to adopt a more progressive policies. And we've seen that during the pandemic where the NDP has said they pushed for more sick days or they extended financial support like CERB. Des, let's start with you. From your perspective, how do you perceive that party line, that they are the ones to push for progressive policies in Canada?
4: Um. If you would have asked me during September or before, um, during election season, I would have told you wholeheartedly, like, yeah, this is the progressive party. This is the party that is fighting for, for the right things. They're fighting for, for people, and they're fighting for people over profits. Um, now I'm not so sure. I, I look at the BC NDP, which is an NDP government that is currently in government, and I see the way that they're acting towards the Wet'suwet'en people, I see the way that they acted in the floods and uh, completely abandoned people and, and had, they were sending RCMP up to Wet'suwet'en instead to continue you know, attacking land defenders, breaking down doors with chainsaws. And I get worried because as an, a progressive person, what I see the NDP doing and what I've seen them be doing since really the end of September, where I kind of started to get a little bit disillusioned, the NDP is desperate to be the Liberal Party and the Liberal Party's done. The Liberal Party was, you know, I would say a 2008 thing um, back when Obama was getting in and the Democrats and, and, you know, there was that kind of push towards left. We're at the point where we need to be further than that. And I don't think the NDP is willing or able to go that far because I think that there's too many people who have this idea that electability comes from being more liberal. And for me, as a progressive person, I would call myself a socialist or more broadly anti-capitalist. I just don't see it. Um, And it frustrates me because, like, I really want to. I really want to see that. But it's just, it's not there. And it hasn't been there for a while.
2: Laurie, what do you think?
4: Is the NDP struggling to sort
2: of insert itself into the spectrum?
3: I don't know that we're struggling to insert ourselves. I think that NDP have been clear about the injustices that they've been seeing. I think that with the BC NDP... I've definitely shared the same sense of frustration with what they've been doing or not doing. And I keep having to remember that with the federal NDP, we're still fighting for the most vulnerable Canadians. We're still fighting for uh, Canadians to have equity. Uh, we have great MPs like uh, Leah Gazan, who has submitted a private member's bill on guaranteed livable income. Another great MP like Taylor Bacharach, who uh, submitted another private member's bill on changing the voting age to 16. I think that we do what we can within the time that we do have. And I think that we're still quite strong in the approach that we take as NDP.
2: Peggy, let's zoom out a little and and look at the historical context and how we got here, right? Because analysts and reporters of the past have thought that part of the problem is that the liberals have actually out-progressived the NDP the same time that the NDP began more solely focused on winning votes. Martin Lukacs put those dates at 2004-2011. Stephen Maher had similar thoughts. And the pinnacle of that trend was that when Trudeau came to power with this progressive liberal government— and you were in Parliament from 2006 to 2008, and then again from 2011 to 2015. So do you think the NDP has changed between the two terms that you served? And what do you think of the analysis that they are struggling to be more progressive than the Liberals?
0: Well, I think, first of all, they are more progressive than the Liberals, much more progressive. And I think the Liberals, first of all, are very astute in figuring out where the winds, the public winds of change are whether it's to the right or the left. I mean, they were champions of neoliberalism and austerity in the 90s, and now they're champions of progressive change. But again, in terms of progressiveness, you scrape away the surface. They've done nothing to reduce, not nothing, but very little to reduce inequality in this country and very little on reconciliation, very little on real and substantive environmental progress. So I do want to challenge that, but having said that, I think that there is absolutely merit in this argument that when the NDP seems to be getting closer to power, it moderates itself. I mean, I, I ran for the leadership of the NDP in 2012 with a platform more to the left, and that's not what people chose, and for a variety of reasons. It wasn't just the political direction.
2: What were the reasons?
0: well, partly was sexism. I had people say to me, we tried women leaders, it didn't work out. I think that if the party's in a mess, they may try to go to a woman, but when they're poised for success, then I think not just the NDP, many parties, they will look to a man. But I think a very um, strong reason was that half our caucus was from Quebec. And a lot of people understood very well that we needed to support Quebec, we needed votes in Quebec, we needed those Quebec members, and to not elect the one... I mean, there were two candidates who originated from Quebec, but the one kind of predominantly branded as Québécois candidate, I think they felt would have been a slap in the face to Quebec. I think that might have been one of the key reasons. And also, Tom O'Kher, who's the leader who was elected was also performing extremely well uh, in the House of Commons. So there were, there were many reasons why he won. And I think you know that, that outcome in some ways was, was logical, but I, I really felt strongly that I was better placed to carry on a progressive tradition. But I will say as someone who's run several times, I've run five times, and yes, you need to run from your principles, from a progressive place, that's why you get involved. But you also need to bring on side people who are not instinctive NDP supporters, more middle of the road. And I think it has been difficult for the NDP federally to strike that balance.
4: Des, you're nodding a lot. Tell me what you're thinking. Some of my biggest disappointments within the NDP this last election, our school, like our student loans policy, was so weak. We should just be annihilating student loans. It makes no sense to, you know, expect people to pay student loans um, when we're living in a system where it's just, it's impossible for people. And, you know, people my age, I didn't go to school and I don't have a loan, but I know so many people who do, who are still drowning in that. And looking at them, seeing what it's going to be like for the future, how, how can we justify not just eliminating that? I feel like we fail so many times when we, we don't go far enough and we don't be radical enough to make people want to vote. I think one of the saddest things about Canadian democracy is that the biggest messages that we give to each other is, oh, you have to vote for me or this person's going to get in, you know? I think that poisons our, our politics because it makes progressive parties think that they have to be like the other guy in order to win because it, there's this constant dick fight between conservatives and liberals. And so the NDP wants to be liberals. I want to see the NDP just be socialist again, you know? Back in the days of the CCF, like this was grown in the prairies. Why are we not coming back to this in one of the, I would say, one of the worst economic times definitely that I've ever seen as, as a person who's only been alive for like 26 years. Um, but, you know, in the last hundred years, we're coming up on a, on a terrible economic future. And we need to be bold enough to say, you know what, let's go left. Let's go further left and, and just get it done. Well, it's interesting you say that because,
2: as you said, the history of the NDP is one that was born out of labor movements and social democratic movements. And I know, Peggy, you were an auto worker lawyer before being in in
0: public office. I was a negotiator, but not a lawyer. (laughs) You
2: were an (laughs) auto worker negotiator. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Do you think labor movement still has a friend in the NDP?
0: Um, Yes, I do. I do. If workers are trying to organize, if workers are on a picket line, it's the NDP you see out there supporting them. What is challenging sometimes, it's not that the labor movement should kind of trump all other activists, environmental, indigenous, social uh, movements, but they they are a core, underpinning of of socialist and social democratic governments around the world.
2: So as someone on the outside, I feel like the NDP is struggling to speak to that tension. Laurie, I wondered if, if you see that or, or you agree with some of the challenges that both does and Peggy have, have highlighted.
3: Uh, I guess uh, politics in Nunavut is always very different in the rest of Canada and the issues that I pay attention to are so different from what I hear. And since I've become the MP for Nunavut and have worked with this current caucus in September, I've never been more proud to be NDP because of the issues that they push. I've learned so much more about being a Canadian based on the input that they provide from their constituencies and how important it is for them to represent their constituents when it comes to labor issues, when it comes to equality, when it comes to better services from the federal government, like how much they worked hard to make sure that SERB payments are actually helping more Canadians. And in our last meeting retreat, we talked so much about the unions and how important it is to represent the workers and to work with the workers and I know that when the House starts sitting again at the end of this month that a lot of our issues will be to find ways to better advocate for the labor, laborers for people that do work, for the everyday people because that's who we want to fight for and really I need to say this I'm so sorry to the young lady who is so disheartened about the NDP and hope that Uh, She pays attention in the next couple of years to see uh, the 25 NDP members in the federal government working so hard for everyday Canadians, because that's what we know how to do. And that's what we push for. Unfortunately, uh, being the fourth party, it becomes a challenge to find the most impactful ways that we can make sure that the liberal government is listening to what we are pushing for, because we know that having not only gained an extra seat, but we have four new MPs uh, that are all amazing. We're all doing the best to do what we can to ensure that our constituents' needs are being heard, but we're also contributing to the national voice of the NDP. So I think that I'm quite hopeful with uh, this caucus, and I'm quite hopeful for the future of the NDP.
5: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: Des, you've heard Peggy. You've heard Lori. Where are you on this, you know, tension between labor movements and the NDP?
4: Um, The nicest way I can say this is I have a hard time believing that people who are making a lot more money than I probably will see in a year know exactly what my best interests are, especially when I feel like they're not listening and they haven't been listening for a while. Obviously, being a part of the, the um, election, I had the opportunity to meet and communicate with lots of the people who are in caucus now and, and their team members. And I agree with Lori that, that we have some fantastic NDP MPs and we have some amazing people who have managed to, to win their seats and go on to parliament. I'm very proud um, and very excited to see those people But I waited and I watched when a Wet'suwet'en hit and I was waiting for a statement. I was waiting for a recognition and acknowledgement or something from the party that I, you know, I I joined as an Indigenous person because I felt that they were, you know, talking about reconciliation. I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and it was over a week before anybody said anything other than a milk toast little statement that did not even remotely talk about any of the issue that was going on. Just, oh, RCMP bad. That's it. No condemnation of Horgan. No acknowledgement of Horgan's government in the wrong. Um, no acknowledgement that the NDP had previously endorsed John Horgan and said, like, this is what happens when an NDP government comes in. It's going to be so great. But to me... We can say all of these amazing things that we're gonna do as a government. And you know, I'll, I'll, I sat through all these awesome, fantastic meetings where I got to hear all the, the amazing futures, the visions for the future that we have. But does it count if you're not gonna do it in real life? Does it count when you turn around and you, the one NDP government that we have to look at as an example is harming indigenous people in their unceded territory, you know? As, as a individual, as a young person, as an environmentalist, as a socialist, I just can't reconcile that to myself, you know? Um, and the, the biggest thing that has been really keeping me frustrated with the NDP is I'm, I'm Métis. My family, we share stories of resistance all the time, of defending our land and how proud we were. But an NDP government, do to us, what they're doing to Wet'suwet'en, that concerns me. And that's something that I can't let go of. So, I, you know, I honestly, in the nicest way, I don't really care if the NDP says all these great things. Because at the end of the day, most of the people working for the NDP, they're making a lot more money than I'm ever going to see this year. And they're still in Wet'suwet'en. They're still sending RCMP to Wet'suwet'en. So if you're going to tell me what you're doing, tell me the honest truth. Lori, I'm, I'm curious.
2: Are you able to share sort of any insights into how the NDP handled the issue of the Wet'suwet'en or or how they handle the issue of Indigenous rights because Desiree does have a point, right? I think when it comes time to walk the talk, we often see the NDP struggle a little bit to do so in a timely, powerful way.
3: Yeah, thank you. I really want to appreciate Desiree for her honesty. I think that's very important. Um, And I'll be honest, myself, I've been fighting within my own caucus as a lawyer I know how important it is for me professionally to fight for people's rights uh, indigenous people's rights uh, specifically when they're asking for it myself as an Inuk I'm very passionate about this issue as well and I've been meeting with other MPs I've been meeting with the leadership we are working hard to make sure that we're on the right side of history. We really are. And we've met with several individuals and we are hoping that we'll have something that brings the NDP voice into this issue and to hopefully at least be able to say that there are many MPs and we have staff that we are working together with to try and make sure that we come up with the best way to Make sure that we're fighting for Indigenous people's rights as well, uh, to make sure that the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is being enforced and recognized. So, there is some work going on that we're hoping to be able to address uh, in the coming weeks.
2: You know, throughout this conversation, it's interesting hearing you all talk about your perspective uh, on the NDP. I think we've learned, you know, what it is or what it can be. Mm-hmm. I, I want to look ahead, though, and maybe talk briefly as, as one of my last questions, what challenges the NDP needs to overcome before, say, the next election, because the political <laughs> cycle runs by election. Um, what challenges does the NDP need to overcome to broaden and, you know, enrich its impact in Canadian politics and in Canadian society. And, and I'll start with you, Peggy, maybe, because you've had sort of the longest experience with this party and with Canadian politics. Nice way of
0: saying I'm the oldest.
2: <laughs> in, in the most polite and admiring and respectful way possible. <laughs> but but what do you hope the party can really, you know, when when it looks in the mirror, what do you want the party to address and figure out as we move ahead?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I hear what Des is saying and her profound sense of disappointment and maybe perhaps betrayal about what's happened in B.C. And I I see that as really challenging for the NDP in uh, not only in the West, but in other parts of the country. On the other hand, I do hear Laurie and I agree with Laurie that there are some absolutely amazing Uh, MPs in the NDP elected in Ottawa who do incredible work and the fact is most of it doesn't get seen. I know from having been there trying to punch through the Ottawa bubble is extremely difficult and um, you know you're operating both in that bubble and uh, obviously wanting to be on the ground and visible and delivering for your community so it's especially difficult for the NDP. Um, I I think that uh, there needs to be more effort in building on the ground. Um, you know, I, I know in, in my particular area, we spent a lot of time uh, recruiting people, organizing, being visible, really, you know, building on the ground. And that needs to be more widespread. It needs to be in, in, communities, large and small, rural areas, that building needs to take place. And I think ultimately, you know, if you just have a menu of 100 things, um, people don't really hear anything. You, You need maybe a handful of priorities. But then come election day, you need to have an urgent ask. You know, I think the Liberals' message for the last two elections has been you know, vote for us or you'll get the Conservatives. The urgent ask from the NDP has to be vote for us and what? What is it going to boil down to that really urgent message that pushes people to the polls?
2: If you were leader, Peggy, in, in an alternate timeline, <laughs> what would be the call to action?
0: Vote for us and what would be your call to action? You know, one call to action could be finally bringing in some kind of tax fairness so that Canada has the money that's really been robbed from it through tax havens and unfair tax exemptions for the point you know the zero point or the point zero one percent the billions in fact globally trillions of dollars, that are, are removed from our public services because these people make the rules. And I think, you know, but you can't just show up on election day arguing for something like that. You have to prepare the ground. Uh, failing that, perhaps it's a healthcare message, although even though people say it's the number one issue, they tend not to vote on it. Um, sometimes it really depends where people are at shortly before an election and that's not because I remember in 2015 one of the big issues with Syrian refugees who would have thought six months before um, so you it's not that you don't campaign on your principles but in terms of what that urgent message is it's you know partly depends on what Canadians are seeing as urgent at that moment but you know one of my key issues is unless we have economic fairness. It's tough to have social and environmental fairness. And um, I, I that's why I wanted to be finance minister. And I, I got to be critic, but not quite minister. So <laughs> we'll see. Desiree, maybe it'll be you.
2: Lori, <laughs> um, we know that Parliament Hill is coming back next week. I'm curious, what challenges do you think the NDP needs to overcome to, to broaden its impact?
3: I, I think... One of our challenges for sure, and this is uh, in addition to what Desiree has been sharing as part of her concerns, is showing our support and our alignment with needing to protect First Nations, Métis and Inuit rights. We need to show that we take reconciliation seriously and we need to make that a huge priority in our party. We've made some strides. Uh, we've talked like there are so many injustices in the way that Canada has treated First Nations, Métis, Inuit. There's there's systemic racism, uh, the unmarked graves. There's there's so much that, that's going on that I think we have to really... Um, accept that making reconciliation a huge part of our um, voice and why we're going to for, fight for First Nations, Métis and Inuit uh, has to be a major priority because First Nations, Métis and Inuit um, have more holistic approaches to well-being, to protecting the environment, to managing wildlife, uh, to sustaining uh, our economies and there we th- it's been too long that uh, our voices have been ignored and we need to do a better job at having better relationships and making sure that First Nations, Métis and Inuit are being uh, recognize for the skills that they do have and to make sure that we're including First Nations, Métis and Inuit in decision making.
2: And, and I'm curious, Lori, are there any internal challenges that you think the party needs to also address as as we head to, you know, another election?
3: I don't know that it's it's internal issues, I think. Uh, One of the biggest things that I've had to learn is all of us, all 338 members of parliament, we're all fighting for the same dollars. We're all trying to make the same dollar stretch. And that is a huge challenge for all 338 ministers. Uh, we might have different parties that we're part of, but even within our own party, we're all fighting for the same resources. So it's, we have to find a way to make sure that we align them correctly so that we're, we're able to increase our numbers in, in the house.
2: Yeah, and that's a bigger task during the pandemic, for sure. Um, Des, last word to you. Um, What challenges do you think the NDP needs to overcome moving forward?
4: First thing I think that the NDP um, and really every party needs to do in order to make our democracy functional is to get comfortable with the idea that holding ourselves to account isn't an attack you know, me saying, man, it sucks that the NDP is doing this isn't me going out and, and, you know, attacking the NDP. It's me as a a person who's concerned and who wants to be involved and who wants to be proud, being frustrated. Um, And I think that accountability is such a hard thing for for anybody to really take because you know we, we're humans, or are emotional. We feel so personal about everything, um, and we apply that to things that we really shouldn't ac- apply those to. Um, uh, you know, holding accountability is so important, and especially if we want to be government, I think that we really have to start getting comfortable with the idea that it's okay that we've made mistakes, and it's okay that we didn't call things out before. But we need to to get on the right side of doing those and hold ourselves accountable and say sucks that we didn't we didn't say this right away but we should have and it was wrong that we didn't and this is what we're doing going forward I think getting comfortable with going a little bit more left is something that's going to be drastically important for the next election. I don't know if you guys have met a teenager lately. Um, I've had the joy (laughs) of spending time with some teenagers, and they are going to be so much more progressive than any of us are ready for. I monitored some teenagers for a pride event that I was doing volunteering, and I watched a 16-year-old give the cop, cop a middle finger without any flinching nothing just completely ready to go and it was like okay like these kids are a little scary so i'm going to be really nice to you um but we have (laughs) we have the future is coming up and they're way more progressive than most of us are going to be ready for um and so we need to be comfortable with falling back into that pattern of socialism and what i personally would like to see is i would like to see the federal ndp make an official statement about what and condemn john horgan for the actions that he had taken I understand that people freak out of the, oh no, like we have to keep a, we have to keep this government. We can't, we can't show any weakness internally, but I think that it, that is a weakness. If you can't hold yourself accountable, you can't, you know, point at your friend and tell your friend that your friend's being an asshole. Like what's the point of of having that relationship? And more importantly, we have to be there to collectively move our society in the right direction. And the only way that we can do that is if we feel comfortable enough to admit that we've been wrong. And I think that the NDP needs to to feel comfortable enough to admit that it's been wrong.
2: I love that friends call each other out. Maybe that should be the call to action for the NDP (laughs) (laughs) moving (laughs) forward. On that note, let's adjourn. That's the Backbench. We'll see you again in two weeks when Parliament Hill will actually be back. If you're following along what happens in Ottawa, we'd love to hear from you. We want to know what you're concerned about, what your rants are, what you don't understand. Because believe me, my list is super long. Our email is backbench at We're also on Twitter at BackbenchCast. I'm Fatma Sayed, and you can find me on Twitter at Fatma B. Syed. You can find my work on the Narwhal. Peggy, where do people find you?
0: Twitter at Peggy Nash. Um Facebook, although I don't really use it, I'm Matt at Ryerson.ca. Until we change from X University to uh, a more respectful new name,
2: Laurie, thank you so much for joining us on. On what I'm sure you're very busy as a new MP. Thank you for coming live from none of it. It's very exciting for us here on the backbench. Uh, where do people follow what you're doing on Parliament Hill?
3: Uh, you can follow me through our NDP website as well as uh, my parliamentary website. There's lots of good information in there. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as well.
4: And Des, where do people follow you and your work? You can primarily follow me and what I'm doing on my Twitter, which is at dee This episode was produced by Tiffany Lam with additional production by Tristan Capacione.
2: Our associate producer is Noor Azri. We're so excited to have her on the team. Our managing editor is Kieran Outhorn. The music is by Nathan Burley. Thank you for listening and stay safe out there.
1: Hey, it's Matea, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all CanadaLand shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.